Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Racket from 1951. The studio was RKO Pictures, release date was December 12, 1951. The running time, 89 minutes, and it was in black and white. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 3 out of 4 stars, and his quick little synopsis is... Police officer Robert Mitchum and gangster Robert Ryan spend almost as much time fighting their corrupt superiors as they do each other. Unusual film noir with strong performances, especially Ryan's, and a bizarre ending. Now, I discovered this film after buying a Warner Brothers film noir box set, and I love the performances from Mitchum and Robert Ryan. And I would have to assume, unless you're a TCM junkie or just happen to buy the same DVD set as me, you will have never have heard of this film. But that's what this podcast is for. All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Robert Mitchum plays Thomas McQuig. And I covered Mitchum's early career for the Holiday Affair episode. From that film in 1949 until The Racket, Mitchum appeared in three films, with the most popular being His Kind of Woman in 1951 with Jane Russell. The other two films were Where Danger Lives with Claude Rains and My Forbidden Pass with Ava Gardner. Lizbeth Scott plays Irene Hayes. Scott was definitely Lauren Bacall's doppelganger, along with a similar smoky voice. Her birth name was Emma Matzo, not very glamorous. And she changed her name after reading for a play about Mary, Queen of Scots, and Elizabeth I. She then removed the E and forever became Elizabeth Scott. Scott's notable roles prior to the racket were mostly film noir, like The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, which came out in 1946 with Barbara Stanwyck, Dead Reckoning with Humphrey Bogart, and I Walk Alone with Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. Robert Ryan plays Nick Scanlon. He was one of the most underrated actors of his generation who was often terrific playing heavies in many films. Ryan's career began in 1940 and lasted until his death in 1973 at the age of 63. Some of Ryan's notable films prior to the racket were The Woman on the Beach with Joan Bennett, Crossfire with Robert Mitchum, Act of Violence with Van Heflin, and The Setup. The director, or directors, (laughs) was John Cromwell, and I will get into why there were multiple directors in a bit. So Cromwell's directing career began in 1929 and lasted until 1960. His best-known films were The Prince of Zenda in 1937 with Ronald Coleman, Algiers in 1938 with Charles Boyer, Anna and the King of Siam in 1946 with Irene Dunn and Rex Harrison, Since You Went Away in 1944, The Enchanted Cottage in 1945 with Dorothy McGuire, Dead Reckoning, and Cage from 1950. The Racket would be one of his last films. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So The Racket is considered film noir, but it really lacks the traditional elements of noir. There really isn't a femme fatale of sorts. It's closer to the traditional gangster crime film. So Howard Hughes, who took over RKO in 1948, wanted to remake this film due to the current events happening at the time involving the U.S. Senate Special Committee to Investigate Crime and Interstate Commerce. This was led by Tennessee Senator Estes Kefauer. The trial was actually broadcasted on television and radio, and Hughes thought a film could capitalize on the attention the subject was getting. Now, the original film came out in 1928 and was produced by Howard Hughes 
who bought the rights to the original play written by Bartlett Cormack, which was loosely based on Al Capone and his crime operations and how it infiltrated local governments. Now, Edward G. Robinson played the main mobster in the stage production. Now, the original 1928 film was very popular and successful, and one of the first films nominated for an Oscar. Hughes was known for being very involved with his films, and this likely led to having so many directors involved in this film. Hughes would tinker with his films in a very haphazard way at times, and the actors involved sometimes never knew how things would end up. So even though John Cromwell was listed as the main director, Nicholas Ray, Tay Garnett, Sherman Todd, and Mel Ferrer all directed scenes in the film. Cromwell was very ill during the making of the film and wouldn't direct again for almost six years. One of the main differences between the 1928 version and the 1951 version is that in the updated release, the mobsters had now infiltrated the mainstream government and legitimate businesses, as opposed to being on the outskirts of society in the 1920s. At this time, Robert Mitchum was a few years removed from his infamous pot bust, and he was indebted to Hughes, who stuck by him through the whole ordeal. Though that came with strings, as Mitchum didn't really have much of a say about his roles given to him through RKO. So, it was a good news, bad news thing with Mitchum having Hughes in his corner. Alright, let's get into the film. So the film begins with a meeting of the City Crime Commission, and I'm not sure if this is New York or Chicago, and they're trying to bust up the mobs running rampant in town. Not just the local mobs, but the national syndicates moving in. The Crime Commissioner, Harry Craig, played by Les Tremaine, believes that the local officials are being bought off by the mob, which is why Police Captain Thomas McQuig, Robert Mitchum, keeps getting grief about his tough stance on crime from the elected officials. He's getting transferred once again as the politicians are basically empty suits being paid off by the mob. Craig is meeting with the state governor to get his approval to break up the rackets. The National Mob Syndicate is run by a man nobody knows by name. He's just called the Old Man. He's trying to organize and spread his power throughout the nation. The Crime Commission wants to put an end to this. The fear is that once the district attorneys and judges are put into place by the mob, it's going to be impossible to stop the spread of corruption. The main local mobster is Nick Scanlon, Robert Ryan. News has already spread that the Crime Commission is looking to break up the syndicate. One of Nick's men named Higgins, whom he was trying to plant as a judge in the upcoming election, decided to rat out the syndicate, and he's talking to the commission. The tactics by the new mob is to blackmail stool pigeons. However, Nick is old school, and he decides to just bump off Higgins. Well, like that. His heart, maybe. Hey, this guy's been shot. Shot. that light. Watch it, copper. You guys in a hurry or something? Sorry, officer. I, I gotta get these brakes adjusted. Okay, okay, go ahead. The officer who quickly questions two of Nick's men as they are trying to flee the scene, is Bob Johnson, played by William Tallman. When Johnson hears about the murder, he believes the two men he likely saw were involved. However, even though Johnson is a good cop, there are others in the department that are on the take, like Detective Sergeant Turk, played by William Conrad. 
He gets a scoop from Archie Conway, played by Don Porter. This is the kind of thing the old man hates and is changing. Too many loose ends, too much emphasis on the physical. I'm quoting, as you know, Turk. Could you quote some more? Policy? Yeah, policy. Nick Scanlon? There's an election coming up. Maybe after that's over. But the old man moves cautiously. Give a man enough rope, he says. What was the circulation of this report? All departments? Mm Mm-hmm. What district is Johnson in? McQuiggs. What's the matter with Nick? What's he using for brains? McQuig's poison. Since we're talking about McQuig, can't something be done about him? Can't the old man Too see Too much it? has been done about McQuig as it is. He's been shifted, exiled, you might say, but he always crops up. That's what I mean. McQuig's got a great reputation. Do I have to remind you again about the election? If we bust McQuig, every newspaper in town will be down on us. They want to know why, why? Sure, but newspaper readers forget fast. It goes in one eye and out the other. Why can't McQuig cooperate? We've given him every chance. Maybe he's honest. All right, Turk, this is your baby. See what you can do with it. Connolly prefers to bribe cops and officials, while Nick, again, just kills people to get rid of the problems. Now, Captain McQuig is a no-nonsense leader. He's tough, but fair, and most importantly, honest, which is harder to come by in this town. Boys, you don't know me, and I don't know you. I run a precinct one way. We might as well understand each other right now. I have rules, and I make no exceptions. Our job is protecting the public, the taxpayer. Don't ever forget that. I will not stand for laxity, slovenliness, or second best. You do your jobs right or you'll hear from me. As for dishonesty or shady stuff, one time and you're out. There's no excuse for it. What happens in other precincts is none of our business. Our job is to just make sure that our own house is clean. If a man breaks the law and you see him, arrest him. I don't care who he is or what influence he's got. I'll take the responsibility. Understand that? All right. Okay, man. Dismissed. Johnson? Yes, sir. That was a nice make, Johnson. Good work. Thanks, Captain. Now, the somewhat humorous part of having Mitchum as the straight-laced cop might be lost on today's audiences. But again, just a few years prior, Mitchum made headlines for being part of a pot bust and was arrested and put in jail for many months before having the charges dropped due to it being an FBI setup. Also, even though Mitchum plays a captain in the film... He never wears a police uniform. He just is in a regular suit and tie. Now, McQuig likes Officer Johnson because he's a good, honest cop, and he needs more like him in this precinct. But McQuig gets a weird vibe from Special Investigator Turk, whom he gets a bad feeling about. City Hall on fire? I'm hiding out from the new crime commission. They must know where to start. All reformers start well. But at least they got you out in the daylight. Your district's safe in daylight. What's up, Turk? Your beat man, Johnson, turned in a good make. Yeah, I know. I just commended him on it. What's Johnson like? Ambitious? In the right way, yeah. What else? Everything you're not. That covers a lot of territory. Combat veteran, third man in the civil service exams, clean record. No relatives, no pull, no politics. Poor kid. He'll learn. No. It's political pets like you who learn from kids like Johnson. Can I start now? Oh, uh, send Johnson in, will you? Yes, sir. Johnson, the captain wants you. 
Johnson, this is Sergeant Turk of the State's Attorney's Special Investigation Department. It's a good make, Johnson. Thanks. If you're sure it was Durko. Positive. But you didn't recognize the other man? No. Even after you'd run the files? He's not in the files. What's this all about, Turk? Our department wants Durko. Then find him and pinch him. Yeah, but if you're beaten and scaring prematurely... Murderers in my district will be pinched on sight. You tell the state's attorney so for me. Keep your shirt on, Mac. Nice work, Johnson. Captain? Captain, am I dumb or is someone trying to cover up something? When I think you're dumb, Johnson, I'll let you know. Johnson, how'd you like a special assignment on this? Very much, sir. All right, you're relieved of beat duty. Thank you, sir. Captain, who's big enough to buy Durko out for a job like this? You just stick to detail. Let me worry about the rest. Yes, sir. That night, Johnson goes home and finds out that his wife, Lucy, is pregnant, which is exciting news for the couple because it will be their first child. However, Lucy is worried about the danger her husband is putting himself in by trying to put away the mobsters. That same night, McQuig decides to visit Nick at his apartment. This is where the movie really shines, because Mitchum and Ryan are in fine form. While this is almost like a B-movie in many ways, the acting is superb, and it shows the riches Hollywood had back in the day compared to today. Even today's so-called A-list actors couldn't match the talents of Robert Mitchum and Robert Ryan. Hello, Tom. Hello, Nick. I'm right in. Don't stand on ceremony. Butler, don't stand on ceremony? Nick, I'd hardly know you. Been a long time. Not much like the old Tenth Ward, eh, Tom? Not much, no. I hear you're living in the same old dump. House is the word. I like dump better. I don't think I'd feel comfortable here. Too much like the lobby of the Palace Theater. Honesty don't pay off, eh, Tom? Or maybe it's just dumbness. You ought to know all about dumbness. You think it was smart killing Higgins? Who's Higgins? He was just walking down the street minding his own business. In my district. I never set foot in your district. Don't. Clark's is a free citizen and a taxpayer. A what? I pay taxes. I keep books. For instance, my taxes would pay the salaries of ten guys like you, McQuig. Uh, public servants. <laughs> McQuig, the public servant. You and I should have had a little talk a long time ago, Nick. I'm all for it. I never forget a pal. I've been intending to thank you for all you've done for me. Like getting me buried in a no-action spot. After I knocked over those horse parlors of yours. Wait, Tommy. Me? Then you and the boys decided you wanted to make an action spot out of the no-action spot, but there was McQuig, huh? I pinched one of your boys for criminal assault and got a conviction. Of course, he never did time. There was an appeal, this and that, the old merry-go-round. But it was inconvenient, wasn't it, Nick? So I was transferred again. I should be an inspector by now, Nick. If you hadn't known me in the old 10th Ward days and been my pal, you flatter me. Let's quit kidding, Nick. Stay out of my district. I'm tired of playing horse. I'm making this a personal thing, understand, Nick? A personal thing. Okay, Tom. Personal. But if I can get you transferred, I can get you promoted. Right? 
So? Just a thought. Who are you? I'm Irene Hayes. What about it? You're in the wrong apartment. You may be right, but I didn't find out till just now. I've been teaching my fiancé some manners. You're what? Well, anyway, he was. I'm not so sure now. What do you do for a living? I sing in the Paradise Club. What do you do? That's an interesting question, Nick. Joe, come here. So, you got engaged, huh? I love her, Nick. That's cheap, Canary. Speak up, Junior. Nothing personal, sister. How about a deal? Deal? Let my brother off the hook. You keep the rock, I'll keep him. Are you going to take this, Joe? No, listen. Shut up! Irene! Now listen, Nick. Now listen, Nick. You want to marry her? Throwing yourself away on that. Give me your money. And your car keys. I sold my car. You sold my birthday present to buy that rock? Yes, I did. And we're going to marry her, too. Now listen, Joe. Now listen, Joe. Listen to yourself. You never know what I've done for that crazy kid. Give him everything. Money, clothes, cars. Made a gentleman out of him. Sent him to four colleges. Four. And the last one, I had to buy a chair. Ah, not like that. Endowment, they call it. Professor's graph is stiff, too. Had endowed chair and civics to get him his, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Diploma. Diploma. I got it okay. And I kept him out of the racket. Why, he could marry anybody in town. Society people, maybe even. Funny, eh? Personal, you want to make it. Right? I said my piece on that. Well, listen. Somebody better wise you up, McQuig. You're two administrations behind. That district of yours, it's hot now. The boys need it with the election coming up. What are you trying to do, stand in the way of progress? I tried to be nice about it to give you a good steer. You better get smart, Tom, or start to duck. Just stay out. It's great watching Ryan eat an apple in the beginning of the scene. And then the cheap canary is Irene Hayes by Elizabeth Scott. Nick basically tells McQuig to either take the payoff or get ready for a war. McQuig, of course, won't do it, and is perfectly smug when telling Nick this. Also, the fact that McQuig saw the blow-up between Nick and his brother, Joe, about Joe marrying Irene, probably can be used down the road for McQuig, as there's turmoil between the brothers. Like Officer Johnson, McQuig's wife Mary is also very worried about her husband going after the mob. But unlike Johnson, the Scanlon mob sends a message that night to McQuig by planting a bomb at the front door of his home after he leaves for the station. Mary is very shook up, 
but uninjured and just as tough as her husband and will not be scared off by thugs. The police on the scene followed the car of the bombers and caught them after they got their car overturned. The two men try to hide out in a parking garage while McQuig goes with the officers on the scene to capture the men. McQuig chases one of the men onto the roof of the garage and the two have a brief shootout before getting into a fight scene, which eventually ends with one of the guys dropping off the roof and dying from the fall. The other suspect got away. McQuig goes to Nick's apartment to have it out with him again. Nick is nowhere to be found and McQuig questions his butler. McQuig takes a photo of Joe, Nick's brother, with him, knowing that it would be Nick's weak spot. So McQuig goes back to the station, and he's hounded by reporters, and he talks to the district attorney Welsh, played by Ray Collins, who is on the take from Nick. You can count on my office. Where's Nick? Nick! you got evidence against Nick. There's never any evidence against Nick. The evidence always gets lost. Witnesses disappear. The record room has a fire. We haven't even got a picture of him in our files. Kids like Johnson don't even know his face. No wonder the governor appointed a special crime. Well, none of this is evidence. Well, a confession will be. Suppose you did pick him up. He'd have a writ here in ten minutes. I'd like to spend ten minutes along with Nick. You say yourself he's hiding. Not from the old man, he isn't. You could find him. <laughs> I've never seen any connection between them. Oh, Welch, this is me, remember? McQuig. You can save that line for the voters. Well, maybe after the election. There'll be one less honest judge. Oh, now look here, Mac, that's pretty strong. Welch, there's decency in you. Why don't you give it a chance? The old man's making me a judge. Convicting Nick Scanlon could make you our next governor. Oh, no, Mac, you, you don't understand politics. All right, forget that. Just between ourselves, tip me off. It won't go any further. Where is he? Mac, I don't know where he is. Now, don't do anything reckless, Mac. I'm conservative. You're the reckless one. You're playing with fire. Yeah. See if Jason's still here, will you? Yes, sir. He'll never help you. He could be honest. Too much pressure from above. Well, I can add a little from below. The old man's behind him, Captain. Yes, sir. He'll probably be at the Paradise Club watching Irene Hayes. Yes, sir. Pick him up, quietly. What's the charge, sir? Oh, vagrancy. Yes, sir. If he resists, there's a city ordinance against expectorating on the public pavement. That includes expectorating broken teeth, sir? Oh, yes. That's very unsanitary. Where did she telephone from? All I heard was the club, sir. Then Mr. Joseph went out at once, and then this perfectly ferocious man came and roughed me up. What did he say? I hardly know, sir. Then he... He what? Nothing, sir. I tried to, to dissuade him, sir, but he was an extremely determined person. And I, Mr. Scanlon, wish to give notice. You what? I hardly know, sir. I'm very bewildered. McQuig wants Officer Johnson to pick up Joe at the nightclub that Irene sings at. This will surely piss off Nick, and that's exactly why McQuig wants him to do it. If Nick plays dirty, then McQuig needs to be sly about how he maneuvers in order to get Nick to make mistakes that can stick. For being second build on this movie, Lisbeth Scott doesn't really appear in this film very often early on, though she is given a musical number in the nightclub. Johnson arrests Joe at the nightclub right before Nick arrives. Nick, of course, is incensed about the arrest and decides to grab Irene before she makes it to the station. She's being escorted by a newspaper reporter who's smitten with her named Dave Ames, played by Robert Hutton. At the station, Joe is less than pleased about being arrested. 
What's the trouble, Captain? It doesn't involve you, I hope. Glad to hear it. Except as a witness. Irene, don't talk. Nick will have us out in an hour. Quiet. Talking spoils my focus. Me witness against the Scanlons? You will, under oath. I have memory lapses. Miss Hayes, what have the Scanlons ever done for you? Nothing. But they will now. Nick Scanlon never did anything for anyone in his life except himself. Or his brother. You mean you want that punk? You don't necessarily get what you want in life. I always say. Irene, that depends on what you want. Who are you? How'd you get in this? Ames, city press, sir. He's a friend of mine, sir, and another witness. It's your duty as an honest citizen to try you to... You said do... I was an honest citizen. And what would it get me if I was? Well, it might keep you out of jail for perjury. Oh, this is great. I walk in here of my own accord. I'm and... only trying to help you. Well, don't be so helpful. I've been looking after Irene. That's me. For a long time. Lock her up. For what? Material witness. I got a right to one phone call. Captain, is our phone working? For one call after that mug, yeah. Now, this is terrible, Captain. Let's see, I'm going to have to straighten you out. All I'm after is Nick Scanlon. Are you going to keep Miss Hayes in jail? I wish I could, but Nick will have them both out on a writ by midnight. He was too smart to call Nick. Who did he call? Davis Bail Bonding Company. See? And Captain, Davis stalled him. Said he had no instructions on Joseph Scanlon. Where's Welch? I hope he's still out chasing votes. Aren't they going to get Miss Hayes out? It's an old trick, son. The writ's too public. Welch is working on the inside. Just so somebody gets her out. I'm holding Miss Hayes as a witness against Scanlon. Is she in danger? Not while I'm holding her, she's not. He's right, Dave. When's your next edition? About five hours. Have Mike bring my car around, will you? I'm going to see Judge Sherman. Shoot the whole story, son. Captain, can I leave her name out of it? Sure. Just be certain my name is very prominent, understand? I understand. Hey, Tom. Take it easy, will you? They can bust you for this. Let them bust as long as I get Scanlon. Who's he to talk about Nick Scanlon? Does he care about anybody but himself? He's an honest man, Dave. Oh, he's a publicity hound. You're the one who arrested Joe. You want to do me a favor? Sure. Print my name and address, too, as arresting officer. Would it help you? It might. Might help a lot. Listen, maybe I better tell you the facts of life. The captain's setting himself up as a decoy. You understand? Above. McQuig plays rough. I like it. As soon as that addition hits the street, I'm expecting callers. Good look, Bob. Don't argue. Grab the phone. Of course, now the DA is nervous with McQuig's actions, so he panics, and he talks to R.G. Connolly, who is the man hired by the old man, to put judges and DAs into the office. Nick, I... I was just joking. Oh. I can get Joe out on a writ. Any fool can do that. But unfortunately, he is guilty. Why does the old man want to make this dummy a judge? Let's stick to business, Nick. My brother is my business. Listen, Judge. According to your law books, no man is guilty until convicted in a fair trial, right? My brother will never come to trial. Nick, that cop caught him with a gun. What's that cop's name? Johnson. It's in all the papers. Johnson will not appear. The old man won't like that, Nick. And there's this girl. Girl? Yeah. She stole that car to frame my brother. And you, Mr. Prosecutor... You'll send her where she can't get him in any more trouble. Oh, wait, Nick Connolly. You want to be a judge or an ex-prosecutor? Well, 
if it's for the good of the party. Get your case, get it ready against that dame. Let me know how many witnesses you'll need. Davis! The old man must like him weak. The old man likes him pliable, Nick. He likes men who do as he says. The other kind don't last long. Davis Bail Bonding Company, a Delaware Corporation. What took you so long? Well, there's only one judge who'll touch this. Did you get the writ? Yeah, signed by Judge Wicks. All we do is fill in the date. Bring it here. Give me your pen. But I promised to get her out. But Nick didn't. He means it, Joe. Now, wait a minute, Davis. Okay. Good luck at the trial. Davis. Okay, get me out. You got the story straight? Sure. Serves her right. Don't put that in your pocket. Why not? It'll stink up your clothes for a week. Nick will have this out in an hour. What do you want, my phone number? You're staying here. Didn't he just bail us out? Not you. When do I get out? Uh, what is auto theft now, Lieutenant? Five years? Drop me a line from the pen. You wait. I'll tell them the truth, the whole business. I'll give them the works, everything, even about Higgins. You'll be sorry for this. I'll bust the thing wide open. Do you hear me? Wide open. She's just young and mixed up. So you lost your playmate, huh? Yeah, I picked up his jacks. What happens now? That depends on you. Can they really frame me? If you play their game, they can. What game are you playing? Just one. I want Nick Scanlon. What can I do? Tell me about Higgins. For what? You want to spend the rest of your life here? Last night when he was sore, Joe was bragging that Nick got Higgins. How? Who was it that shot Higgins? That's all he said. Come on, sister. That's all he said, honest. He knows all about it. Either Nick told him or he overheard what was going on. Well, it's a little thin, but pick Joe up again. Well, I'll... I'll be getting along. To a slab in the morgue? They won't bother me, will they? Not in here, they won't. Feed her and make her comfortable, but don't let her out of your sight. Irene, I'm sorry. Get out before you get me hung with your honesty. All right, I have set it all up for you with about 30 minutes left in the film. Irene is now a target since she plans on ratting out the Scanlon after being jilted by Joe. Plus, Officer Johnson has a hit out on him after being the arresting officer. And do we ever actually see the so-called old man running the syndicate? How will this all play out? Well, check out the film and find out. As I stated before, Mitchum and Ryan are fabulous and you will not be disappointed by the outcome. I think it also might have been interesting in this movie if the roles were reversed for Mitchum and Ryan. Now, as we found out a few years later in Cape Fear and Night of the Hunter, Mitchum could play an excellent villain. However, Howard Hughes always had to have Mitchum be the hero or the good guy. 
and so that's why it took so long for Mitchum to get a shot as a villain. It's also interesting for this era of film, the score is almost non-existent. This might have been due to so many different directors and the Hughes meddling. Alright, a few fun facts. Shelley Winters was originally announced as the picture's female star in 1951, and obviously that never happened. A poster for this film can be seen very briefly in the background of a scene in the 1978 comedy thriller Foul Play with Chevy Chase and Goldie Hawn. Alright, you know I love film noir, so hopefully you enjoy this one too, and I will be back next week with yet another random movie you never know what's going to be from my DVD collection. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.